Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Waterfront Church. Man, that was an awesome job uh, in worship today. And that last song, just absolutely beautiful. I'm going to look forward to singing that one more often. Just absolutely beautiful. Uh, Well, I've got some good news for you today, uh, and that is many of you know uh, sweet Miss Jerry at our church. Miss Jerry is one of our seniors. And uh, Miss Jerry, if you're watching, just want to wave at you and say hello. Uh, Miss Jerry underwent some surgery this week. I had been having some difficulty, and she is through the surgery, feeling fine, and uh, I just wanted to give a shout out to her, uh, to Vanessa Howard and their family. And I uh, just wanted to say uh, thank you for sharing Miss Jerry with us. And uh, we can't wait till we're back together where we get to hug your neck and uh, get to hear your stories. And so uh, very, very grateful for you. That's a big win today, church. All right. Uh, and then uh, this is, of course, Memorial Day weekend. And so uh, don't forget there's a difference between Memorial Day and other holidays uh, where we celebrate the different portions of the military. This is specifically uh, for those individuals who paid the ultimate sacrifice, uh, those who gave everything uh, for our freedom. And uh, uh, it's interesting. This is usually the point in the service uh, where I say um, we are able to worship in freedom uh, because of uh, uh, the ultimate sacrifice that was made. And just know there is no change uh, for me saying that. That is exactly uh, what we celebrate today as a church. Uh, They gave the ultimate sacrifice so that we could worship freely. uh, And again, uh, so that we could uh, serve the Lord uh, here in our country. And so I'd like to ask you to do this. Uh, I think each of us could think of someone that we know or someone in our family uh, who served in the military and then ended up giving the ultimate sacrifice. And here's what I'd like to ask for you to do. Even if it was someone way down the line, I'd like to invite you just for a moment with me uh, to spend some time praying for that individual's family. Uh, it's an amazing sacrifice that that person gave for us. Uh, but again, the family has to stay here and live uh, with, uh, without that person. And so uh, just like if we could take just a minute, with all heads bowed and eyes closed, and on this Memorial Day weekend, take just a minute and remember a family of someone who paid the ultimate sacrifice for our country, and take just a minute and pray for them that God would give them strength and courage. Ready? On your mark, get set, go. Lord, we are very, very grateful that we are able to cry out to you, that we are able to worship you, that we are able to study your word without fear of persecution. And Lord, we know that 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 gift didn't come cheap, that Lord, there are many who gave their lives so that we could be here today, even uh, via the web, and worshiping you together in this country. Uh, Lord, I think specifically today of my friend Adam, who lived right across the hall from us, Um, Adam used to wear two bracelets uh, with the names of five friends apiece uh, that had perished in helicopter crashes uh, in their time together in Iraq and Afghanistan. Lord, I pray special blessings on my friend Adam today. I pray that you would bless his life, bless his family. And Lord, for the families of those soldiers that passed away, I pray that you would also give them peace and comfort today, knowing that their memory is not forgotten and that we are taking firm hold of that amazing freedom that you've given us. We love you, Lord. Bless those families today in Jesus' name. Amen. 
All right, if you got your Bibles, open to Galatians chapter 6 and then Genesis chapter 45. We finally got to one of the exciting parts of our story here with Joseph. This is a, a good portion of the story where he finally tells his brothers who he is, and it is a glorious celebration we're going to go through today. Um, so all that to say, our lesson today starts with this question. Um, have you ever wanted something fixed in an instant before? You ever wanted something fixed right here, right now? Now, we've been waiting a long time in our story of Joseph. Joseph uh, to see what's going to finally be fixed and what's going to happen today. I don't know about you, but I really hate waiting for just about anything. Okay, I mean, it doesn't matter what it is. I do not like waiting. Um, I think that that's probably just modern culture. We want it right here. We want it right now. Faster internet speed, right? We want it to show up at our door. Uh, again, we want it fixed in an instant. Um, so at the beginning of this pandemic, I went outside to my car, and there was a flat tire on my car. But have you ever had this before? The tire was just flat enough that I still could make it if I wanted to. I still could make it to the tire shop uh, and get it fixed. I wouldn't have to pay for a tow. So I get in my car, and when I do, I can hear the starter going, but the alternator won't turn over. And so because of that, I have got a flat tire and a busted alternator in my car. Now, that was about a month and a half ago uh, that that happened, and uh, my car is still sitting in the drive today, all right? I need to get it taken care of. I wish it could just be fixed in an instant, but it's going to take some time. It's going to take some extra effort, and I'm telling you, I got to get it taken care of, but anytime you got a flat tire or car trouble, you just wish it could be done right there, uh, right now. Now, here's a great verse. If you're a person who struggles with being impatient and allowing the Lord to craft things around you, okay? Genesis, or excuse me, Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, which is also the verse that our kiddos are memorizing in the children's ministry. Here's what it says. Paul writes, let us not become weary, look at this, of doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest, look at this last part, if we do not give up. Circle, highlight, and underline, if we do not give up, doing good, and then at the proper time. Now this verse is very powerful to remind us that when we are working towards something, if it's all about doing good, we never need to get tired of doing the right thing. The call for us as a church, uh, the call for for us as believers and disciples, the call for us as parents, as being a good roommate, the call for us on any level is we should do good. And if we don't become weary of that thing at the proper time, we will get to reap a harvest if we don't give up. If you're taking notes, write this down. God will always provide you the energy to do the right thing. God will always provide you the energy to do the right thing. Just for the record, in a parenting situation, I don't know that there's any better example of that than uh, the uh, potty training process, all right? Say that five times fast, the potty training process, all right? So here's the deal. We have four kiddos. They range from 10 to 2. And we have successfully trained three potty, uh, three, we've successfully trained three pottiers, all right? And then we still have the one that we're working on just a little bit. For any of you who've ever done potty training before, either yourself or for someone else, all right? If you've gone through potty training, I'm telling you, it is a labor of love, okay? It takes a lot of time, it takes a lot of effort, it takes a lot of conversations, it takes a lot of paper towels, all right? Whatever it is, right? It takes a lot of time cleaning up and getting it set up. But that glorious day when 
When the child is able to take care of themselves in that regard, you, it is all worth the effort. Again, at the proper time, you will reap a harvest if you do not give up, right? Now, there's a lot of different things in our lives that, take, uh, that again, we can get weary of working on, fighting against sin, sharing our faith, forgiving others when they've hurt us, being gentle when we just want to pull forward, exhibiting courage when fear seems to surround us on every side. I don't know about you, but sometimes those are the things that I want in an instant. But the great things of Almighty God, He almost always crafts over time. It's not something He just drops on you. He wants you to understand just how special that thing is. So I've got a really interesting question today. Don't see any sacrilege in it, okay? But our big million-dollar question today is, why does God take so long, okay? There's some of you who would sit there and go, that is a blasphemous question. God is always on time. I want you to hear me say that. God is always on time. But when it comes to the way we feel, why is it that God seems to take longer If he could just do it in an instant, if he could just snap his fingers, if he could just breathe out his nostrils, if he could just, again, speak it, and it could come into being, why does God choose to take his time? We have a great example of that in the story we've been studying in Genesis. Now flip over to Genesis chapter 45, and we're going to start in verses 1 and 2. Genesis 45, why does God take so long? Why does he take his time? Well, we've been watching it in the life of Joseph. Remember, Joseph had been sold into slavery by his brothers at the beginning of our story just because they didn't like him. They thought he was too cocky. They sell him into slavery. Joseph goes through all kinds of difficulties, spends a decade in prison, and then spends time in Pharaoh's household, and he ends up the second most powerful person in all of Egypt. Not only that, but the brothers end up showing up, and remember, they don't recognize him, but Joseph recognizes them immediately. And then, through a set of circumstances that we've been going through these last few weeks, Joseph comes to the realization that he can trust his brothers again, that they've become honest men. And now, here in Genesis 45, Joseph is finally going to reveal himself to his brothers and let them know that he is the one they sold into slavery, and now God has exalted him like the stars in the heavens. Look at what happens in Genesis chapter 45, starting in verses 1 and 2. It says, look at this, Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants. He cried out, Have everyone leave my presence! So there was one so there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers and he wept so loudly I know wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household even heard about it stop right there for just a minute the reason that this emotion has come up is because Joseph again his brothers don't know who he is but he knows them and he's been listening to them he's been watching them he's been seeing the way that they've changed and then all of a sudden Judah who was the one who suggested the brothers sell him into slavery in the first place judah speaks up for benjamin his full he speaks up for benjamin uh, joseph's full blood little brother and says you got to take care of benjamin even though you want to keep him here as your slave you can't do that take me in his place i'm not going to let you do the same thing that we did to our brother joseph at that point i'm telling you joseph is so built up because all of that hurt all of that difficulty he's been through has now come to a head right here in this moment and i love it it's that he's so filled with with angst, he goes, everybody leave my presence. 
Everybody out. Have you ever had somebody do that before? Maybe it was in a meeting that you had uh, with, uh, with coworkers. Maybe it was a family deal. But I'm telling you, somebody just got so worked up, they went, everybody out, clear the room. I mean, that's what Joseph has done here. He's the second most powerful man in the world at this point. And he's just screamed at the top of his lungs, everybody out, clear the room. I love this because what he's done is he has created a true family moment. And he tells his brothers who he is. And then it says he wept so loudly that even the people outside the room could hear. You don't think that wasn't an emotional, passionate man letting out everything? He wept so loudly they could hear him outside. And it was so noteworthy they took it straight to Pharaoh so that he could know what was going on as well. His boss, his supervisor. If you're taking notes... Why does God take so long? Number one, so we will be ready for our big appointments. So we will be ready for our big appointments. This moment was not just one that God had been working on in Joseph's life. This moment was one that the Lord had ordained since the beginning of time, and Joseph had to be ready. Sometimes it seems like God is taking so long as he allows things to be fashioned and shaped in our lives, when the truth is God knows what's ahead. He knows what we're going to have to navigate, and he knows we need to be ready for it. Oh, I so much enjoyed this. Uh, There might be several of you who got to enjoy this uh, as well. The last dance up until last week has just been amazing. Love getting to watch the story of Michael Jordan uh, and the story of the Chicago Bulls. It just was so much fun. And uh, uh, for those of you who watched it, uh, this uh, the last couple of weeks were specifically about uh, Jordan feeling like he uh, was, uh, was a, a rough leader because he tried his best to get the team ready for the playoff runs. And so uh, the last few episodes were about how he relentlessly taunted the guys on the team in practice and relentlessly just picked at them. And uh, when they talked to him about it, the only time you really see him cry through the entire series was when he talks about his father, uh, who was uh, tragically killed in the middle of that, uh, or at the end of that 1993 season season and then when he talks about being a teammate getting his team ready so they can make the championship run and you watch it he knows because he won six championships he knows that the playoffs are brutal and for them to win they're all going to have to be ready not just the guys that are the starting five but every single guy on that team all the way down to the bottom of the roster is have is going to have to be ready to do their very very best to be at their sharpest and not get picked apart by the opposing team Michael Jordan cries as he said, I tried to be the best teammate I could, even though from the outside it might have looked like I was a complete jerk. Now the Lord is a little bit more gentle than Michael Jordan, but the principle is the same. God loves us so much that he wants us to be ready for those big moments that we were created to be a part of. Sometimes... You can go through those moments and you can think to yourself, I just wish it was over. Was this really for anything? Any of you who played football will remember this. Spring football was the worst because there were no games. You did just as much practicing as you did through the regular season, but spring football was the worst because at the end you scrimmaged each other. It was the worst because scrimmage was just basically practice, but you were against one another, all right? I mean, it just was the worst. But then when you got to the fall... You really look back on that time in the spring when you got to learn the offense, when you got to learn the defense, learn the calls, and it sets you up so that you would be ready 
for the big appointments you had for those 10 weeks during the season in game time. If you're taking notes, write this down. God knows the extent of our future burdens and he is faithful to prepare us for victory. Let me say that again. God knows the extent of our future burdens and he is faithful to prepare us for victory. There are some of you in this study that may be asking yourself, why is God taking so long? There are things that I desire. I desire to be married. I desire to have children one day. I desire to be in a job where I truly feel valued. I desire for there to be peace in my family. I desire to find forgiveness. Or I desire to be able to offer it to someone else. And you sit there and go, God could do it in an instant. Why won't he do it? Why is he taking so long? It's been my experience that the Lord knows how hard that specific thing is going to be. And he is crafting you and making you ready so that when that moment comes, you won't miss your opportunity. By the way, another great example of that is in Nehemiah. Look at Nehemiah chapter 2, and we're going to read the first five verses. Nehemiah is the cupbearer to the king, and here's what happens. In Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 1, it says, In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and I gave it to the king. I had not been sad in the king's presence before. Now, just for the record, Nehemiah is the cupbearer. It means he tastes the drink every time before it goes to the lips of the king. The idea is that the, uh, if, if Nehemiah drinks something and it's poisoned, then he's the one who passes away instead of the king. The cupbearer is one of the most trusted positions in all the kingdom. And here's what he says. I'm the cupbearer before the king, and I've not been sad in his presence before. So Nehemiah is not somebody who's dramatic. He's not somebody uh, who's given to these fits of sadness. Look at verse 2. It says, so the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of the heart. I was very much afraid, Nehemiah said. The reason Nehemiah is very much afraid is because he's just met friends who told him that the walls in Jerusalem had been torn down. Now, walls in the ancient world means there was no way for the people to defend themselves. There was no way for them to gain any footing. And Nehemiah is sad of heart because once he's heard about this, he knows that he's supposed to stand up and ask God for help. Look at what happens. It says here in the next part, I was very much afraid. But I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my fathers are, is, or fathers are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Now look at this. This is the moment. This is the big appointment for Nehemiah. It says, verse 4, then the king said to me, what is it that you want? I love the end of verse 4. It says, then I prayed to the God of heaven. Stop right there for just a minute. What we find in this part of the passage is Nehemiah is having this constant contact with God. He's having this constant conversation with God. Even as he goes through this moment, he's afraid. Even though he's sad in the king's presence, the king says, you're not typically sad. What is it that's going on here? This can be nothing but sadness of the heart. Something's really bothering you, Nehemiah. What is it? Tell me about it. Nehemiah says... I'm frustrated because the gates are burned with fire and I'm frustrated because the walls have fallen down and my people are not able to take care of themselves. They're not able to build a life for themselves. And all of a sudden the king says the trillion dollar question. He goes, what is it you want? And Nehemiah stops and prays. I was made for such a time as this, O Lord. I need you to act on my behalf. I need you to soften his heart that he might be able to listen. 
It says, verse 5, And then I answered the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his eyes, let him send me to the city in Judah where my fathers are buried so that I can rebuild it. You see, Nehemiah asks God for strength, and then he speaks with such incredible humility. He was prepared for that big moment. He had not fallen into a dramatic life. He had not fallen into being one who asked the king for a thousand different things. He was prepared for that moment, for that big appointment, and Nehemiah did not disappoint. You know, the king ends up giving Nehemiah what he wants, and Nehemiah, with the trowel to build the wall in one hand and a sword in the other to defend himself, Nehemiah is able to rebuild the wall. It begs the question, are you trying to rush your training with Joseph, with Nehemiah, even with the work of the Son of God, to rush something that God is so specifically crafting? If you skip steps, you're going to be in trouble later. You can't skip steps. My dad used to say that about pastoring as well. He said sometimes you would see a guy uh, who would be in ministry that would make a jump to a different level, and maybe you see this in other lines of work as well, but someone would make a jump from a job that was kind of a, a, the top end of a low-level position to the low end of a high-level position, and they would miss the middle grouping. And my dad would say it's very difficult. When you make that jump so high so quickly, a lot of times you have to go back and you have to relearn the steps that you missed. Our God is faithful to complete the work that he starts in us. Why does he take so long? Because he wants you to be ready. But that's not all. Look at what happens next. Genesis chapter 45. Now verses 3 and 4. So he's weeping. He tells his brothers who he is. And uh, the brothers probably don't respond the way that Joseph thought they were going to respond. Look at verse 3. Now Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? Now there we have this first moment. He's trying to connect with them. He's trying to move on because remember, they, are, they don't know who he is, but uh, up until this point, he has fully known who they are. Now look at the next part. But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Underline they were terrified at his presence. But Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. Underline and highlight, come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, said, I am your brother Joseph, the one that you sold into Egypt. Stop right there for just a minute. This whole thing starts off with Joseph, again, weeping and crying, emotional, cries out to the brothers, I'm your brother Joseph. How's our father doing? Tell me about our father. And they're like, you're who? You're what? And they don't embrace him immediately. It says that they are terrified of him. They're scared to death. Probably, number one, because they don't fully believe that it's him. And then secondly, because they go, oh my gosh, we sold him into slavery. Now he's in that position that he told us about in his vision. He will exact his vengeance upon us. He's going to rip us to pieces. And Joseph does the most beautiful thing. Joseph says, come here to me. Come here to me. He calls them close. And then he tells him and just lays it out. I'm Joseph. You know the one you sold into slavery? That's me. He points out the sin that they had committed against him, but not in a way of accusation. He does it in a way of incredible kindness. Now listen to me. 
You think after somebody hurts you by selling you into slavery, you think that you'd be able to forgive that person and just say that with a full heart, meaning it completely, five minutes after it happened? I can promise you that's not the way I would be. Forgiveness, it takes time. It's something that the Spirit has to cultivate within us. If you're taking notes, why does God take so long? Number one, so we'll be ready for our big appointments. And number two, so we can say the right thing and mean it. So we can say the right thing and mean it. Joseph doesn't just say, come close to me and with teeth gritted, go, remember you sold me into slavery? Remember when you did that awful thing to me? No, he says it with gentleness with tears streaming down his cheeks. How's our father? They were terrified. Joseph says, come to me. I'm your brother. I'm the one that you wronged, and I'm still telling you to draw near to me. This is a long quote, but I hope you'll take it and write it down. When the world can see the love of Christ in the gentleness of our hands and the compassion in our eyes, they will trust the gospel coming from our mouths. Let me say that again. When the world can see the love of Christ in the gentleness of our hands and the compassion in our eyes, they will trust the gospel that comes from our mouths. I've found over my time, not just in ministry, but as a parent, as a husband, as a friend, that when the Lord allows me time so that I can truly mean the right words to say that it has a much more powerful meaning. Some of you have been walking through us or walking with us as we've been walking through Jack's autism diagnosis. I've told you a bit of this story before, but in the beginning, we didn't even know the right things to say. We had seen life as it was going to be very different. And just for the record, it's not worse. It's just different than we had dreamed in our heads. My son is the joy of my life. And in the beginning, you had this diagnosis, this word, autism, that was attached to him. Over time, I began to understand what those words meant. And then you figure out what the right thing is that you're supposed to say. The words that are not just politically correct, but the words that are honest, but not hurtful. And then there's another stage. You don't just say the right things. You come to a point where you can mean them with your whole heart. God took a long time on something for us. In the beginning, we had been suggested to get into a geneticist's office so that we could figure out exactly what it was that was going on with Jack. And typical to Autumn and I, we went and found the very best geneticist in the entire country, an amazing doctor. She's legitimate, legit. And uh, um, she uh, operates in Virginia, um, or she operates out of Children's, but her office is in Virginia. And uh, it was six months to get in uh, to this doctor's office. Just an incredible geneticist, again, finest in the country. And um, I remember we asked a friend in the special needs community, um, do we need to wait that long? Is six months a long time? And our friend told us, you're going to need that much time. We said, what are you talking about? We want to help him now. We want to fix this situation now. And the friend said very gently, time is not a bad thing. Take some time and uh, just wait for that meeting to happen. We finally get in. 
And my wife and I were so different after those six months than we were when we started that process. And it finally came to a head in that big appointment. I'll never forget the doctor walked in and she had like 20 interns with her. And so it's me and Autumn, it's Jack, and Jack is playing in the blinds over in the corner. And uh, she walks in with this group of 20 interns. And I'll never forget, she looked at us and she said, kind of sternly, why are you here? And it was such a good question. Just like the king asking Nehemiah, what is it that you want? She said, why are you here? And I remember I spoke on behalf of Autumn and I, and I said, if you'd asked me that six months ago, I think I would have said to fix him. I said, but now we've come to a realization. I said, man, we're people of faith. I said, now my answer is actually to help him become who God made him to be. The doctor grinned ear to ear, and she said, that's the right answer. She then looked at us and said, do you know what I see? She said, I see a young man who is loved. I see a young man who is going to be something special. And then it's so funny, she said, and Jack hears a lot more than you think. And she said, don't you, Jack? And from the windows, Jack peeked around and he said, yes. (laughs) And he went back behind the blinds. One of the cutest moments. To help him become who God made him to be was always the right answer. But that day, six months of figuring it out, the Lord was so gracious. He was so good to us to give us that time, that precious, sweet time, so that we could learn to not just say the right thing, but to mean it. Joseph doesn't just tell his brothers he forgives them. Joseph says, come to me. I know what you did. You sold me into slavery, and yet I still embrace you. It begs the question, is your whole being a reflection of Jesus? Is your whole being a reflection of Jesus? Or are you the believer that is able to say the right things, but you don't live it? Or conversely, there's several of those in this city as well. Are you the one who does the right things, but your words are so hateful and spiteful, you've not taken the time to really process what it is that the Lord would have you to say? It paves the way for this last scene. And then we're going to split this up into two. It's too good to preach through the whole thing in one setting. So let's look at what happens in verses 5 through 7 in Genesis. It says... And now, do not be distressed, and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Look at this. Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Underline to save lives. For two years now, there's been a famine in the land. And for the next five years, there will not be plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you. Look at this. For you to be a remnant on the earth, and to what? And to save your lives. Underline, save your lives by a great deliverance. Stop right there for just a minute. I love this, and you've heard me preach this numerous times about the micro and the macro in the hands of Almighty God. Joseph looks at his brothers and says, God sent me here on this mission to save lives, world lives, to save people in Egypt, to save people in Canaan. He sent me here to save all these different people, and then he takes it micro, and God sent me here, took me through all this mess, all this time, all this difficulty to save your lives as well. 
all. This is something that was not just for the world, but this was for my family. If you're taking notes, why does God take so long? Number one, so we will be ready for our big appointments. Number two, so we can say the right thing and mean it. And number three, because he's taking care of everything. He's taking care of everything. God takes his time because he's not just working on one family. He's working on the world. And yet, with the same passion he works on the world, he works on the one family. God is that powerful. He's that sovereign. He's that providential. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. The goodness of God stretches to the ends of the earth and to the depths of your heart. The goodness of God stretches to the ends of the earth and to the depths of your heart. Maybe, just maybe, God is taking his time with you because it's about things that are bigger than you, and yet he still cares about you individually. The micro and the macro. I don't know if I've ever told you this story before. I repeat a lot of stories. I apologize. For those of you like Jordan Davis and Melinda who've been around a long time, I apologize. A man only has so many stories in his lifetime. I don't know if I've ever told this one before. There are several things that the Lord has crafted over time in my life that I'm very proud of the way he crafted them. But maybe none so much as the way he recrafted my relationship with my father. I've never told the full stories of what happened that caused the rift between us. And those stories are between me and the Lord, my father. But I can't tell you, it came to a head. He had hurt me deeply. And there came a moment where I got so angry. I prayed this prayer, and I'm ashamed that I prayed it. I was hurt so deeply. With tears streaming in my face, I prayed, God, I wish he would just die. I was in college. I prayed that prayer. God, I wish he would just die. I felt like my life would be easier. My world would be more simple. That I wouldn't be so concerned about what he thought because that was a really big thing. If he would just die. And just for the record, there was a big macro thing at work there. The Lord was going to knit together my father and I in friendship and relationship. He would redeem and reconcile what the enemy had stolen. But something else happened that day. There was a Christian band that still plays called Casting Crowns. You ever heard of Casting Crowns before? Casting Crowns had just come out with their very, very first album. And um, I'll never forget, I had a friend that I worked at Red Lobster with. And that day, that friend came by my house. And I'd had such a hard day. The macro is God was about to put in motion some amazing things that would change my life, that would knit my father and I back together to where that day would become a distant, distant memory. But the micro of that day, I was so low and so sad that I had prayed that awful prayer that never should have been prayed. A knock comes at the door, and it's my friend, and he has illegally burned a Casting Crown CD from the CD that he had. Don't judge. Everybody kind of did it back in those days. Doesn't make it right, or I'm just telling you a story, okay? He shows up with the Casting Crowns album. 
He says, you're going to want to listen to this. I was like, Casting Crowns? I go, okay, whatever. He goes, it's a great band. They're brand new. You're going to want to listen to this stuff. And I remember I got the CD. He didn't know the type of day I'd had. And I put the CD in, and there was a song they sang, and it starts off, I am a flower quickly fading, here today and gone tomorrow, a wave tossed in the ocean, a vapor in the wind. Still, you hear me when I'm calling. Lord, you catch me when I'm falling. And you've told me who I am. I'm yours. I played that silly song a thousand times. And all I could think of over and over again was God loves me. God loves me. And even though the flowers fade, he still cares for them. I want you to know something today. God is so good. God is so powerful. And when you feel like he has delayed things in your life, things that you desire so deeply, God is so good. He's not dangling a carrot and pulling it further and further away to mess with you. If he's not giving it to you yet, it's not time. And the time is right. The Lord will present. And he does good things. Not just good things for you, but he's taking care of absolutely everything. It begs the question, do you trust God's plan? Do you trust God's plan? Over the years, I can remember people telling me that they felt like any time a pastor said, God has a plan, that it was a cop-out answer. There have been some cases where it is. But it's true. God has a plan. Do you trust him? Are you the person that wants to be God in your life so badly that you shake him every chance you get because it's not on your timetable, it's not on your schedule? Why is God taking so long? The answer to that question is God is never late. God is never slow. He is always right on time. Thanks for listening today. Sorry I got a little emotional. There's a lot going on right now. Um, If you don't mind, don't tune out. Most important part of the service of these next few moments. Let's bow our heads for prayer. With every head bowed and every eye closed, nobody looking around but just me, even where you are at home. We call this our time of reflection. Nothing mystical or magical about this time. Just a chance for us to stop and to process how we're different because of the songs we've sung, the sermon we've heard, and the scripture that we've read. With nobody looking around but just me, is there anybody here, anybody watching, that would say, Zach, would you pray for me? I just feel like God has taken a long time. I feel like he's taken a long time. But I'm going to trust him today that he's preparing me for a big appointment. With nobody looking around, and again, wherever you are at your house, if you could just raise your hand and then just say, Zach, pray for me. Our God is so powerful. Through all space and time, he is sovereign. And even if you're doing this right here, right now, I'm still going to pray for you. And I believe our Lord is going to hear it on your behalf. If you're here and you'd say, Zach, pray for me. Pray that I'd be ready for my big appointment and that I would trust God's plan. If that's you, just lift your hand and claim that to Almighty God. Thank you. Thank you for having the courage to do that. I'm going to pray for you. 
But your prayer again is very simple. God, give me the courage to wait for the moment you've set up. God, give me the courage to wait for that moment you've set up. And then maybe there are some of you that would say, Zach, would you pray for me? I know the right thing I'm supposed to say, but I need to mean it with my whole heart. I'm telling you, it was a powerful, powerful thing for God to give us that six-month stretch so that we could not just say the right thing about our son that we adore and we love so much, but we could mean it with our whole hearts. If you're here and you'd say, Zach, pray for me. Pray that I wouldn't just say the right thing, that I wouldn't just do the right thing, but that I would mean it with my whole heart. If that's you, if you would just lift your hand where you are right now. Thank you. Thank you for having that courage. I'm going to pray for you, but I want to encourage you to pray this simple prayer. God, help me to mean it. Lord, fashion my heart, shape me, and help me to mean it. And then last but not least, maybe you're here and you'd say, Zach, would you pray for me? I think God's taking a while because there's a whole lot more than me that's at work here. If that's you, one of the biggest things that we fall into when we get impatient is selfishness. That's you, and you'd say, Zach, would you pray for me? Would you pray that I'd be a little less selfish and know that God is going to take care of me and the world at the same time? Would you pray for me? If that's you, if you would just lift your hand where you are right now. Thank you. Thank you for having the courage to do that. I'm going to pray for you, but your prayer is simply this. Say, God, please help me to die to myself and to trust that you are doing good for all of us. I love you guys. Thank you for listening today. I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll stand. Father, thank you for this day and for your blessings in it. And Lord, thank you for the story of Joseph. This moment is just so special. And for those of us who've been around for this whole journey, it is just unbelievable to think through what Joseph has had to navigate here. Thank you for shaping him for this moment. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ for those who need to be prepared for those big appointments, that you would begin to shape them, that you would give them a double portion of courage so that they would be ready to do the right thing. Lord, for those who need to figure out how to mean what it is that they're saying and what they're doing, I pray that you would help them to have a heart change over time, that you would chisel and fashion them so that they can be authentic in the words that they say and the feelings they feel. And Lord, for the ones that just need to let go of plain old selfishness, help them to die to self today. And I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.